Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Thrilled to be with you this morning. Walk through God's Word together. So why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles. Going to want to find your place in Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning. So go ahead and find your place there. Uh, It's Advent season, and I loved how Paul said it at the beginning. He said, Advent, if you want to know what Advent is all about, Advent's all about Jesus. And we as a church, we love the Christmas season. I love the Christmas season. In fact, uh, it's fun to get up and preach when you just sang your favorite Christmas song. Oh, Holy Night is like my favorite Christmas song. So we love the Christmas season. But as we said last week, one of the reasons we go through Advent is to be reminded we celebrate Christmas, but we celebrate it differently. As God's people, we look back to our King who has already come to the earth, died, resurrected, lives. We also look to our King who will come again. So that's why we call Advent. We call it, uh, we remember to anticipate. And that's what Advent is all about for us as a church. Now, if you remember, we said last week, one of the things about Advent, it's an opportunity for us to tune our hearts this season. To invest in one another. Think like a disciple. Think like a disciple maker. Because this season, maybe more than any other season, you are being bombarded. Amen? You're bombarded with how to think, how to feel, what you ought to want, what you ought to be doing. We're just bombarded this time of year. So for us as God's people, we want to stop, if you will, and say, all right, let's let the Word of God saturate and inform and direct our thoughts, our feelings. Uh, Last week we talked about our longings, what we want to be longing for, and even today we're going to talk about what we are to be doing. We're waiting, but during that waiting, what are we to be doing as God's people? We'll talk about that a little bit this morning. Now, just to remind you, one of the things I love about Advent is we get to go through this season together. There are a ton of resources available for you. We've got a reading guide. If you haven't picked that up yet, I encourage you to do that. You can pick up a paper copy. It's online. Our family discipleship plan is in line with this morning's messages throughout the month of December. Families, you can come around those truths together. I encourage you to do that. So this morning's message from Luke 2 is just a starting place. This is a starting point for you to begin some gospel conversations, begin some discipleship conversations in your home, a ton of resources available for you, all right? Okay, so last week we talked about that Jesus' followers, we long for our King. We are tempted to long and want and desire lesser things. We saw what that looks like when that plays out in Isaiah chapter 9 last week. This week, we're going to take another step and we're going to talk about, okay, as Jesus followers, we wait for our King. We're waiting. And the whole idea of what does it look like for us to wait well. So in Luke chapter 2, what you have in this story is an account of a guy named Simeon. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about who Simeon is, but the reason we're in Luke chapter 2 is Simeon is a picture of what it looks like to wait well. So Luke chapter 2, just to remind you of the context really quick, uh, the promised child Jesus has been born. 
Young Mary and Joseph are now proud parents. They have named their baby Jesus, just as the angel has told them to do. And Joseph and Mary are faithful followers. They're a Jewish family, and they're going to do some things here according to the law of Moses. We're going to see how that plays out in this story in Luke chapter 2. So I'm going to read these verses, make a few points. We've got some big truths, big ideas that will flow out of that. Then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And then sweet time as a church family this morning, uh, a time of ordination at the end of our service. So super day. Glad you're here. Uh, Luke 2, verse 22. You can read along with me. I'm going to walk down through some of these verses. Verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses. Again, this is a Jewish family, Joseph and Mary. They brought him, that's Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So they bring him up to offer a sacrifice according to what is in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So what's going on here? Joseph and Mary are following what's prescribed in the law of Moses. And there's a practice, and I won't go into great detail about this. You can read a lot of background on your own. There's a practice where a family will bring their firstborn and present him to the Lord. It's kind of like the practice throughout the Old Testament of presenting first things to the Lord. It's this picture of presenting your first fruits. Why? Because you're recognizing everything is from God. If God, Everything belongs to God. If God wants to give me more, it's up to Him. It's this picture of presenting what is first to the Lord, trusting Him for everything else. So it's a little bit of that picture with their firstborn son. They bring Jesus and they're presenting Him to the Lord at the temple. They say they bring two young pigeons or turtle doves. What's that all about? Well, they were to bring something of value as a sacrifice alongside this. If you were a poor family like Mary and Joseph, the law of Moses gave you an opportunity to bring something that you're poor, whatever you could bring, two pigeons. Verse 25, now we're introduced to a man named Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous, and he was devout. Here's what I want you to see in the middle of verse 25. Well, what's Simeon up to? Well, the Bible says he's waiting. He's been waiting for quite a while. He's waiting when Mary and Joseph and Jesus show up at the temple in Jerusalem, and it says he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. We just sang that in a song. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, we'll go into great detail here, but here's what we know about Simeon. Just what we find here in this passage. That's all we know about this guy. The Bible doesn't tell us anything else about Simeon anywhere in Scripture. And I think that's very neat. I love that picture. We don't know anything about his position, anything about his title, anything about any authority he has. Here's a common guy used by God that we find in the record of God's revelation, Simeon. God's going to use this simple, ordinary guy, Simeon says he was a man that was righteous and devout, and he was waiting. Scripture says he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. Now, we don't use that term a lot, and we sing it occasionally. That's a messianic term. That means Simeon has been waiting 
for the Messiah to be born. You say, how long has Simeon been waiting? Don't know. But we do know how he's been waiting. We do see a picture of faithfulness in his waiting for the promise of the Lord. And that's incredibly important for us this morning. So we don't know a lot about him. We don't know how long he's been waiting. But the Bible gives us a picture of what it looks like to wait well. To wait well. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him, Simeon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. God had made clear to Simeon, Simeon, you're not going to die until the Messiah comes. You're going to lay eyes on the Messiah. Verse 27. And he, Simeon, came in the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a minute. What does that mean? Into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law of Moses, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, this is kind of an understatement in the Bible. Remember, I think Simeon's been waiting years on this promise to be fulfilled. He's in the temple. Here come Mary and Joseph. You can imagine this moment of the fulfillment of this promise he's been waiting on. The Messiah is here. Messiah is brought into the temple. He, Simeon, verse 29, took him up into his arms and blessed God and said, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. That's important. We'll come back to that. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory for your people Israel. I mean, he just goes into this psalm of praise. And his father and his mother marveled at what was being said about him. I imagine so. And Simeon blessed them, verse 34, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold. This child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. Simeon gives a larger picture of understanding that this child who has come, he's going to be opposed by those who reject him. He will be a stumbling block to some and to those who believe a light. Verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your soul also, speaking to Mary. So that thoughts, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. No doubt a reference here to the personal grief Mary as a mother is going to see when her son hangs on the cross some 30 years later. So in this passage about this guy Simeon and and this event that takes place, here's what I want us to see this morning. I'm going to give you one big truth. And then some big ideas, some application, implications are going to flow out of that. Ready? Here it is. Here's your big truth. Jesus' followers wait for the king. Jesus' followers wait for the king. Simeon is a picture of waiting. We, as his people, are called to wait. Now, I know if we were all just really honest, in your minds, in your heart, we don't like the idea of waiting. Amen? Don't look at me so spiritual, I know. Our culture is aversive to the idea of waiting. 
We honestly think, can anything good come from waiting? The sooner the better, the quicker the better. I want it now. Why in the world would I have to wait? We are a culture that is aversive to the idea of waiting. But yet the Bible is very clear that followers of Jesus are called to wait. Now, even as I say the idea of waiting this morning, you probably have some ideas of what waiting means. Maybe you have some negative connotations to the ideas of waiting. So before we talk about what it looks like to wait well, what does it look like to not wait well? Let let me give you some help on uh, some ideas, even some pictures of of what it means to to not be a a good waiter. You don't wait well. Uh, Here's a picture of what it looks like. I call this... um, frustrated waiting and I want you to in just a second frustrated waiting what does that look like there you go pastor Daniel is a vivid picture of what it looks like to not wait well this is frustrated waiting now he was not very helpful in this he didn't even know this was coming but that's what it can look like to wait in a frustrated way here's the idea don't make me wait you ever had that idea with God Lord the last thing that I want to do is wait. Now, there's another kind of negative waiting of how we do not wait well, and I call this passive smug waiting. Passive smug waiting. That's it. Yeah, there it is. You're kind of, you know, chilling. Everything's under control. Uh, I got everything under control. It's this passive idea of waiting. I'm going to be honest. I thought y'all would enjoy those pictures a lot more than that. You just got, oh, come on. You loosen up a little bit. We can approach waiting in this frustrated posture which says a lot about how we view God. Or we can view waiting in this passive idea and we miss what the Bible says altogether. So in our waiting as God's people, what are we to be doing? What is that to look like? Psalm, you don't have to look these up, I'll just give these to you. Psalm 31, 24 says, Be strong and let your heart take courage, all who wait for the Lord. There's a picture of waiting in the Bible that's a steady, stable, secure waiting on the promises of God. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over those who prosper in His way. There's a patient, trusting waiting in the Lord. Psalm 39.7 says, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in You. There's an expectant waiting. Lord, you are always faithful to your promises. As as I wait, I'm not frustrated, I'm not smug, I'm not indifferent, I'm not passive, I'm trusting, I'm patient. And in that time, Lord, what am I to be doing in obedience to you during this season of waiting? See, I don't know if you know it or not, as you trace some of the heroes of the Bible and some men and women in the narratives of the Bible... There was great work God did in and through the lives of His people while they were waiting. Abraham, from the time he was given the promise of a son, had to wait 25 years for the fulfillment of that promise. And God did great work in the life of Abraham to deepen and to grow his faith. Noah? 
God, is, God gives Noah a promise that the earth is going to be destroyed by water. And Noah, you're to be busy while you're waiting, preaching righteousness, building this boat, getting my salvation ready. And oh, by the way, Noah had no idea when he received that promise, he would have to wait. Anybody know? hundred years. David. David was anointed king of Israel by Samuel. And David had to wait year upon year upon year upon year until he actually took the throne of Israel because God was doing something in and through his life during that season of wait. So how do we as God's people wait well even now? The book of Titus and some other places in Scripture help us with this today. 2 Peter 3.13, you don't have to look this up, I'll just read it to you. But according to his promise, we are waiting We are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Titus, Paul writing to Titus says, Titus chapter 2 verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait. While we wait. There's to be a a pursuit of our lives, Paul says to Titus, while we are in this season of waiting. Jesus' followers wait for our king. We're in that season now. We're in that season of waiting for the fulfillment of the promises. We, We look back to the coming of Jesus, and now we're in that season of looking ahead in anticipation, waiting for the coming of Jesus. During this season of waiting, what are we to be doing What is our life to be characterized about? I'm going to give you just three things really quick. We get these from the life of Simeon, and then we're going to move into the time of the Lord's Supper together. So I'm going to give you a few big ideas that flow out of this. What does it look like to wait well? Go back with me, verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous, he was devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. Verse 29. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. So let me give you one of the characteristics of how we wait well. Here's your big idea number one. While waiting, walk in the truth. While we are waiting in this season, we are called to be walking in the truth. You say, how do you get that from here? How does Simeon know who and what he's waiting for? He says, the consolation of Israel. Where does he get that from? The idea of the consolation of Israel, you could look at that as really, that that phrase means comfort or deliverer or rescuer. Let me tell you what that phrase is that Simeon uses. It's a summary statement of the Old Testament prophecies. So this is huge for you and me. Simeon, in his waiting, was learning how to wait well, was knowing what to wait for. You know why? I'm going to put it this way. Because Simeon knew his Bible. That's a good place for an amen. I mean, just that's a really good place for an amen. Simeon knew his Bible. 
You may put it this way, Simeon knew his Old Testament scrolls at this point. He, he knew the promises of God, and his season of waiting was shaped and informed by God's truth and God's word. The consolation of Israel, he gets that from places like Isaiah 40 and Isaiah 25 and Isaiah 66. His waiting is shaped and informed and directed and guided by the truth of God's word. Now, we could have said here, we could have said while waiting, instead of saying walk in the truth, we could have said walk in the Spirit. Because when you read this passage three different times, it refers to Simeon. It says, verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit revealed to him. Verse 27, he entered the temple filled with the Spirit. Hang with me here. So, Mike, are you saying that Simeon was filled with the Spirit of God? Or was Simeon a man saturated with the truth of God's Word? You know what the answer is? Yes. Now listen, I don't want you to miss this. This is a huge point here. Because I know what happens sometimes. We get to phrases like, filled with the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, and we chase some mystical, ecstatic idea. And I would just even go a step further and say this, beware. Beware of any church, any teaching, any individual who wants to relegate the work of God's Spirit to some ecstatic moment or experiential feeling or mystical revelation, God told me, and separate it, watch, from the revealed, completed Word of God that's already been delivered up to the saints. That's a really good place for an amen. You say, was Simeon filled with the Spirit or was he a man of the Word? Yes. The Bible doesn't separate the two. The Bible doesn't relegate this leading by the Spirit and this empowering by the Spirit and the things that were revealed by the Spirit. Is the Spirit of God at work in our lives today just like Simeon? Yes. You know what the Spirit of God is doing today just like Simeon? Jesus said in John 16, 14, He is glorifying me. He is opening our eyes and enabling us through his word to see and worship and enjoy and know Jesus. That's his work. You say, does the spirit of God speak to us today? Yes, he does. And you know what language he speaks? Ready? Scripture. Scripture. So here we see in this life of Simeon who is waiting well and he's waiting patiently and he's waiting actively. He His waiting was informed and saturated with the Word of God, and he was walking in the Spirit of God as his mind and his heart were submitted to the control of God's Word. Same for you and me. So we wait well. While we are waiting, we walk in the truth. Secondly, I'm going to give you a second application really quick. Verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He says, this man was righteous and devout. Righteous and devout. Here's your second big idea. While waiting, pursue Christ-likeness. While waiting, we, we are in pursuit of Christ-likeness. The Bible attributes to Simeon 
these characteristics, it says he was righteous and he was devout. Righteous, as it's used here, is the idea of deeds, of righteous deeds before men. Devout is his pursuit of God. It's growing in godliness. While we wait... Jesus even made reference in Matthew 24 and 25 of teaching that he was going to come. And you don't know the day nor hour. And he said, the faithful servant is busy about my work, waiting until I come. But there's an unfaithful servant over here. And with each day that I delay, that unfaithful servant gets more sluggish and gets more lazy and says, oh, Jesus is not going to come. And it creates this passivity that leads to license to sin. Simeon is an example as we wait and long for the return of Jesus. And watch, even if he delays. Could Jesus return in all of his glory today? Yes. Come, Lord Jesus. But he might not. He might not. It may be a year. It may be 10 years. Maybe a hundred years. Simeon didn't know when. But Simeon's life seems to be characterized by this ongoing transformation and growth in living out righteousness and godliness. We would call that this pursuit of Christ-likeness. Does that characterize your life and my life as we're waiting? Peter mentioned this, our, our old friend Peter, just a few months ago, when we were at the end of 2 Peter. Remember, he's talking about the Lord's going to return. How shall we live? 2 Peter 3, 11 and 12, Peter says it this way. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be in holiness and godliness? I mean, we talked about that. Peter's not saying, what sort of people ought you be? He's saying, in light of who God is, in all of his return, in all of his glory, man, what sort of people ought we be? How our lives ought to be characterized by a hunger and a pursuit to represent him well and our lives deal with sin and our lives pursue holiness and righteousness and godliness so that Christ, we become more and more and more like Jesus. So as we wait for the King, we walk in the truth. We walk in the power of the Spirit saturated with God's Word. As we wait for the king, we are waiting, we are pursuing Christ's likeness. Lord, during this season, if you return or if you choose to delay, God, what sort of people ought we to be in holiness and godliness? I'll give you a third one quickly and we'll be done. Third, look at verse 27. Jesus' followers wait for the king. We walk in truth. We pursue Christ's likeness. Verse 27, last one. And he came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Now, I want you to listen really close to the psalm of praise that Simeon states over baby Jesus. Again, Simeon knew his Bible. Simeon knew who he was waiting for. Simeon had a really good theology of understanding why this child was even coming and why this Messiah was coming into the world. Listen to what he says, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. There it is again. Not according to some ecstatic experience I had somewhere. No, Lord, just according to your word. For my eyes, verse 30, I love this. 
He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He sees beyond the baby to God's redemptive purpose in history. And he doesn't say, oh, what a cute, cuddly little infant. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. That you, verse 31, have prepared in the presence of, I love this, all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles or to the nations and for glory to your people, Israel. Man, there's a ton there and I'm going to try to get it all in. Here's the last thing. Big idea. While waiting, we live on mission. Simeon's waiting is informed by the word of God. Simeon, saturated with Scripture, knows that this baby that he's looking at, this Christ child that's been born, is here by the purpose and the plan of God on a redemptive rescue mission. He knows that. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, a light of revelation for the nations, a glory for your people Israel. Simeon knows the Messiah, the King, is not just here for his own personal benefit. He sees way beyond himself to this mission that he's been brought into and knows that now the Messiah is here. He's carrying out God's redemptive mission for all people. He sees beyond himself. He sees beyond the infant to God's mission. Listen, I just want to share a couple of convictions personally that come out of this for me, and maybe these will help you this morning quickly. I I think especially during the season of Advent when there's so much worship music and there's so many worship gatherings and there's so much adoration we talk about going on, true worship of who Jesus is in all of his fullness will always propel us to live out in lives on mission. That was a really good place for an amen. The Bible never presents a picture of worship as, okay, it stops with our worship. It always propels out on mission. Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, lofty and exalted in all of his glory. And he's broken. And by the end of that, he says to the Lord, here I am, send me. Adoration will lead to active gospel advancement in the lives of God's people. So for us as a church during this Advent season, and and by the way, beyond Advent for our entire lives, as we wait for our King, it is very clear there is a purpose in our waiting. And Peter says, by the way, he is patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, all should come to repentance. There's a purpose in the waiting. That purpose is for us. That purpose is also to carry out his redemptive mission on earth. So in our worship, it should propel us toward gospel advancement. It's really hard for us as a church to celebrate Advent and remember and anticipate without being actively engaged in advancing the message of Jesus, the glory of the gospel message. So let's just get really practical with that this morning and apply that to us as a church family, just us here this morning, right? What does that look like for us as a church? 
What might that look like this Advent season to worship and that worship propel us out into witness and making Jesus known? Let me just give you a few examples. You write some of these down if you want. I think it looks like gospel conversations. I think it looks like having your radar up on a regular basis, and as an overflow of your worship, you're looking for gospel conversations. Maybe this Christmas, we could be as diligent with our three names that we're praying for who don't know Jesus as we are with our Christmas list. That's not a slam against Christmas lists and buying gifts. Man, I hope I'm on your list. Buy me a gift. But I hope we're as diligent or even more with the names of people who, yes, they need a Christmas gift. But man, this, this Christmas, if Jesus came, they would spend eternity in a place called hell. And I want to plead with God for opportunities in their lives to make Jesus known. Do you have a list like that? Gospel conversation. Secondly... It looks like giving generously. We as a church, every Christmas season, we have something called Christmas Give. Many of you guys know that. It's kind of go on autopilot. Okay, Christmas Give, I've been around. Maybe you're new to Trust Cities Baptist and you don't know what that is. We have an over and above offering at Christmas time called Christmas Give. Every dime of that goes into our missions offering, which we call Give to Go. The challenge for you, the challenge for me, this is my family, this is my kids, this is us. Hey, let's make our largest Christmas gift a kingdom gift. Let's celebrate Christmas, but let's celebrate differently. How can we take our largest gift that we're going to give and make that a kingdom gift and give through this thing called Christmas Give? Support this thing called Christmas Give or uh, Give to Go through our church. If you don't know, I don't want this to sound like an advertisement. Give to Go, our missions fund, helps us to send disciples and reach the unreached and train leaders and serve the vulnerable, plant churches all over the world. We get to be a part of that through our giving. You may be new and you say, I'm not really sure what all is involved in Give to Go. Let's give you a couple examples this week that came to my attention this week of things our church is involved in through our giving as we give to Give to Go. One is Agape Women's Services in Johnson City. Agape Women's Services are there to serve women in crisis pregnancy situation, sharing the love and the message of Jesus. They moved to a new location. They're right next to ETSU. This year alone, they served 1,224 clients, a 25% increase from last year. Every one of those we get to be a part of through our giving. Let me give you another example. This one got me. So I get this text Monday morning. It's from our, uh, our sent family who lives in Uganda, Selvin and Laurel Jermitis. You, you know them. You see the videos of what's going on in Uganda. This, this happened last Sunday. When we were gathered here, God was at work on the other side of the world in Uganda. He sends this text and he says, yesterday, that would have been last Sunday, we had an amazing day. We have had more than 500 baptisms in our six churches this Sunday. You go, wow, that's them over there. No, that's us. That's the kingdom of God that we get to invest in when we give. Listen, he says this year, 750 baptisms in all of our six churches. More than 1,000 people gathered this past Sunday under trees in Africa worshiping our king. What an amazing thing God is doing by relentlessly pursuing the Karamajan people of Uganda. We get to be a part of that. Praise God. 
So it might look like gospel conversations. It might look like giving generously. You have opportunities to do that through this church. It might look like saying, hey, next year as I plan my year, I'm going to set aside some money and time to go on a go trip and a go season with my church. You can find out about more of those online. And finally, as I think about this, I just want to share one last thing with you. It's really a praise for the history of, of this church. As we talk about a gospel culture and a culture of reaching the nations and living on mission, that's really been the culture of this church for over 30 years. If you're new to Tri-Cities, you get to step into a church where you're going to be challenged to share the gospel and have opportunities to give in that way and to be sent to the ends of the earth. That's a culture of our church that started way before me. Guys like Gene Ramillion and others, that God's built that culture of this church, and I'm grateful for that. And let me tell you something that's happening that just came about just over the last few months. Because of the culture of our church of reaching the nations and living on mission, that we got a lot of room to grow. But because of that culture in our church, we've been asked by the SIN Network, which is the church planning arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, to multiply that culture in 50 churches across America, new church plants. You say, what does that mean? In other words, the idea is we want that DNA that's at Tri-Cities, we want it to be in our new church plants. So we as a church, I get to lead this out next year, we're going to take 50 new church planters on five global trips across the world to see the nations and to carry that DNA back to their church of reaching the nations. And you say, that's great. We're thankful God's already put that DNA here. And we have folks noticing that saying, we want that DNA in our new church. That's a praise to God for what he's doing in our church. We're grateful for that. So as we wait, we live on mission as we wait i'm going to ask the team just to come on up and begin to play we're going to move into time of prayer and then the lord's supper as we wait we walk in the truth as we wait we pursue christ's likeness and as we wait, brothers and sisters, side by side, together, God has given us the privilege to live our lives way beyond ourselves and live our lives on mission for His glory until He returns. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray now that we continue in a posture and an attitude of response to You. Lord, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper now, God, I pray you prepare our hearts to continue to remember and anticipate. And God, I pray we celebrate Christmas, but I pray we celebrate it differently as your people. In your name we pray. Amen.